You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. The message is entitled, Get in the Spirit. Get in the Spirit. And I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. It's the conclusion of the series we've been doing on what I'll call the art of evangelism. And I'm really happy to have Gideon and Tabo with us. Hallelujah. Thank, thanks, guys. It's a, a blessing. First time with us since... The wedding, and what a great wedding that was. So much joy. I always have great memories from the wedding. So I'm going to pray, then I'll lead you in a prayer. Father, we're talking about getting in the Spirit. I pray that you would fill me with your Spirit as I share your Word, that I can share with your boldness, your compassion, and your love, and that you, Holy Spirit, would give us wisdom in your Word. And that also we can hear in the Spirit, not with our own filters, but receiving through the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. So bless, Lord, and kiss this word and equip us to be evangelists like Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Put your hands on your hearts and pray with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. And change my life in your precious name. Amen. So here we are, get in the spirit. There's the Brooklyn Bridge. Last week I showed you the Verrazano Bridge. That's a huge bridge. Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bridge is smaller, but you can walk across this. You can't walk across the Verrazano Bridge. So... Here's the Brooklyn Bridge, and it reminds us of our, our theme of getting across that we talked about last week. This week is a little bit different, but there's a tendency for us to have fewer non-Christian friends the longer we're Christian. We get comfortable with the people who are like us, yet this isn't very Christian, Because being a Christian is being like Jesus. We know that Jesus made great efforts to befriend sinners. So let's look at Matthew 9. It's not the first time we looked there, but we're we're in this area because I I sense that the Holy Spirit wants us to really uh, soak in and receive Although the wisdom of Scripture about evangelism and to make us evangelists, otherwise we get so focused on ourselves, like Anne was saying, that we forget, forget what Jesus is all about. And here we read in Matthew 9:11. Well, Matthew was a tax collector. And they were known for their sin and for extortion and taking money on the side. And they were known as not the best characters. Matthew 9.9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. I'll start at 9.9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So I want us to see this. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors 
and sinners. We may say something, why is our church filled with all these sinners and bad people? You know, that's the type of thing that the Pharisees were saying. So Jesus responds. On hearing this, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So you see Jesus' heart here. And then it says here, I desire mercy. That quote is from the Old Testament. And the word used in the Old Testament is one that we have talked about here in the past, chesed. I desire chesed. It's loving, it's it, mercy probably doesn't do it justice. The English word mercy doesn't do it justice here. It's I desire chesed, loving kindness, grace, going out of our way to show favor. And he says this is more important than sacrifice. Not that sacrifice is not important, but the, the sacrifice that we are meant to do is laying that our life in worship and in doing God's will. It's a, it's a sacrifice that's rooted in chesed. It's rooted in this grace and, and love. So Jesus made uh, great efforts to befriend sinners. And I show the bridge here because we need to cross over to the other side. Cross over to the other side to reach those who are lost, who are sick. They need healing. And the sickness that Jesus is talking about is a spiritual sickness, a sickness of the heart. Here's salt. Light is meant for the darkness. So a light is meant for darkness. You don't have a light. We don't, I'm not putting up a light here because it's light already. Right? But if it was dark here, we would have the lights going. Salt only works within the food, not in the salt shaker. Salt was used, still used the same way today. Salt is used, was used in ancient times to preserve meat, but the salt had to be in the meat. Uh, it, salt draws out the moisture within. So the salt was used in this way. Also, salt purifies but it can only purify if it's in that area. And so God wants the, us believers to be the light in the darkness, to get out of the comfort zone of what we feel and the comfort zone of our culture, whether it's church culture, culture or ethnic culture, and get into the places that need the salt and the light. And now Matthew 5, 13 I would say most of us would know this, if not all of us. Matthew 5.13, Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's here originally speaking to his fellow Jewish people, Israel, and their call. And it applies to us as well. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. And notice what this light is. That they may see your good deeds your good works, your good life, your kindness, your love, your chesed, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what we do by the power of the Holy Spirit changes people so that now they glorify the Father. They may not have been glorifying the Father before, but through what God does in our lives, and out of our lives, they start glorifying the Father. Now, here's Isaiah 60. Now, this is not the first time that I have read this. But what can, one of the errors we can fall in is we can get fixated on the darkness. 
and especially with the phenomenon of doom scrolling. You keep on scrolling over and over and all the bad news and more and more bad news and I'll follow this and this and this and all of a sudden you believe that there's aliens in the, in the middle of the moon. They've got a colony there. <laughs> and that's not, and I'm not, I'm not uh, exaggerating much because that, that's some of the stuff that's out there on the internet. Uh, please don't fight with me about it. Let me just read the verse. <laughs> Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So it's time to arise. And how do we arise? We get in the Spirit. The Spirit of God empowers us to arise. Yeah, we can focus on the darkness, and the more we focus on the darkness, we become dark. The darkness is out there. We do not deny that. But the Lord rises on us to be a light in the darkness. Here I have a pendulum, and there are two errors we can swing toward regarding evangelism. The first is to separate ourselves from sinners like the Pharisees. We say to ourselves, I want to be, I want to be holy. And that's, that's good, right? But we say, I want to be holy, so I need to keep away from sinners who can defile me. I don't want to be defiled. I don't want to fall into sin with them, so I keep away from them. Or we may think, I don't want to be uncomfortable or challenged, and therefore we withdraw. Uh, therefore we withdraw. And this is an error. It seems like a good thing, but that's what the Pharisees did. They separated themselves from the sinners they took that, that light that they were meant to have and they pulled it away. That only lets the darkness get greater. So I was, I know you see me and I'm speaking here and you think maybe I'm an extrovert, but naturally I'm not an extrovert. Uh, I'm more extroverted now than in the past. But when I was first saved, I was uh, very introverted. I didn't even want to go up to the counter in the store to order, order some food. And I never liked to be on the phone. And so my, one of my first jobs as an adult was in the call center. <laughs> for, for years, I'm, I'm calling and saying, hello, can I do a survey with you? You know, I had to read a script. But that was my worst nightmare. But the Lord had me getting out of my comfort zone. And later, I did editing there at the Marketing Incorporated. Uh, and because I was extroverted, the Holy Spirit challenged me to get out on, I mean, because I was introverted, not extroverted, because I was introverted, not extroverted. The Holy Spirit challenged me to get out on the streets. And so every Friday night, I would get out on the streets to, with a uh, group of others or maybe just one of us, be a, a couple of us. And uh, when I say one, another one with me. And it was just a small group. And we would go out and we would share our faith with people. And we had great times. And often getting home like really late because we have great conversations with people. One in the morning, two in the morning. And I did this. Even when Gideon was born, I was out on the streets most Friday nights. But then I had to be a father <laughs> so I had to be, be home more. We would go to Pensacola Beach. When I was in Pensacola, we would go to Pensacola Beach. And there was a big shell there. And my, my friend would play the guitar and I'd play the saxophone in the shell. This was sometimes at night or sometimes very early in the morning. We were there and we would be witnessing to people on the boardwalk there. And different people got saved and came into the revival in Pensacola by us going out there 
So even though the revival was going on and we had millions of people coming to the revival from all around the world, we still went out into the streets. We still went out into the boardwalk and talked with people. There was still a lot of lost people around even though there's a revival happening. So you may say, we have every excuse in the book. I'm introverted. That's not my ministry. I don't want to do that. Or I want to be holy. Every excuse to withdraw, but the Holy Spirit is compelling us to go out. So make sure you listen to the Holy Spirit in that way. Now, the other mistake, the second mistake is to become so like the world that there's no distinguish, distinction between us and them. So we become like the world. We, uh, we want to win the world, so we become like the world in their sin. The Israelites fell into this trap by adopting the nation's idols as their own. And the call of the prophets was always, do not worship their idols, but they wanted to be included. They wanted to be like the nations around them. And so they were always tempted to take their idols. We see this issue in the book of Colossians. The Colossians also synchronized their faith with the prevailing religious ideas of their day. So in this frame of mind, we want to be liked and accepted rather than serving God. And the, the right way is we're reaching those who are sick, who are lost, but we're also keeping our standards, the standard of Christ. We're keeping holy and we are not uh, adopting the idols of the world. And so do you see those two, two uh, errors we can swing into, those two extremes we can swing into? And we need to stay in the way that God would have. Two hands, two hands. There's a song by Chuck Gerard that I was playing this week. And I believe in, that, in this verse here, it really encapsulates God's heart. Uh, for his people. And this came out in, I believe it was 1972. So we have the early, or that's when it was recorded, but it was probably made before that. It was a feature in the, the Jesus movement, the song, Two Hands. And I'm just quoting a part of the song. Accept him with your whole heart and use your own two hands. With one, reach out to Jesus, and with the other, bring a friend. Do you see that? It's simple, but very powerful. Accept him with your whole heart, and use your own two hands. With one, reach out to Jesus, and with the other, bring a friend. And this was featured in the Jesus Revolution movie. You can hear a short clip of it in that movie. And back in the day, Anna and her family often sung this song in outreaches and on the streets. And I've got a, I got a little clip here of Chuck Gerard. I don't know if it's going to play here, but it's Chuck Gerard singing this, but it's like 30 years later <laughs> in Calvary Chapel. So it's 30 years later. See if, see if this plays here. No, it doesn't. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to play the whole thing. Just a little snippet. And I'll say some comments, too.
feel the faith swell up inside you. Lift your voice with us and say, Here comes that first that I was born. Accept him with your Yeah, that's a little sampling of the song. And God used that often in the Jesus movement. And it was a simple music. A real shock for me when I was first saved, coming from the underground house music and the techno and hip-hop and all that style one of the genres was called jungle music. And then coming from that to more of the simple Christian choruses was a, like a shock for me. But while I wasn't like gravitating toward the style, I saw the heart and my, my, the Holy Spirit within me kind of leapt within and I would be singing these songs like shine, Jesus, shine. <laughs> shine, Jesus, shine. What's happened to Glenn? He's lost his mind. <laughs> but I love Chuck Gerard, and I love that song. Uh, uh, yeah, beautiful, and just communicates the gospel so well. So today, we'll conclude our series by learning from the Master himself about how to share the good news. We'll see that Jesus lived in the Spirit, focusing on the Father's will rather than his own pleasure. Now let's go to John 4.31. John chapter 4.31. And we're looking at this whole story of the woman at the well. We've been focusing on a portion of it each week. And now we're near the end. Or yeah, This will be the end this week. John 4, 31. Now the disciples went into town to find something to eat. The reason why Jesus was at the well is he was tired, so he was sitting down. And out of that tiredness, a conversation broke out with a, a, a woman who was coming to the well. Now the disciples came back after this conversation. The disciples came back and... Notice here, verse 31, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. You got to eat something. You're tired. What's, what's, you know, you've been sitting here. We went in town to get food. Eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So this surprised them. Jesus said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? <laughs> they, always, they were always thinking kind of naturally, and Jesus was speaking at a higher level. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, let that sink in for a moment. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Croissants. I like croissants. <laughs> Good ones. Not the cheap ones. <laughs> that soggy. <laughs> but well-baked ones. And that comes from my mom. Her, you know, she, her tradition was French. She grew up in French Morocco. And so that French, uh, yeah, that French food has always meant something to me. During, uh, sorry, doing, doing the will of the Father, living for his glory, is enjoyable and energizing. I'm going to repeat that again. Doing the will of the Father, living for his glory, is enjoyable and energizing. 
It feeds your soul and causes you to rise on wings like an eagle. You won't understand it until you do it. And the disciples didn't understand where Jesus was getting his energy from. Because before he was tired. But after he was doing the Father's will and communicating with this woman at the well, he was lifted up. <laughs> he didn't need to eat their food anymore. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then he explains that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus set the example and the church is weak when it drifts from God's mission, the harvest. You know, after he talked about the food, he's talked about the harvest. Can I read this to you? Yeah. Don't you have, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvest a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So he brings their eyes to the harvest and the harvest is those lost souls that are out there like the woman at the well. And if our eyes were open, we would see the world as a harvest field rather than just darkness. Anytime the church drifts from, our, from its mission, we become weak. So our mission is the harvest. And then after we win someone to the Lord, then it's time to train them and equip them. Equip them so that they can become strong in the Lord and also work with us in the harvest. The reason why we're here in the park is we want to be a light in the world around us. People can hear. They can hear the worship. Sometimes they stand at that gate and listen to the preaching. That's why I have my voice a little lower now. <laughs> but to be a light, the reason why we're in the Queen Street Mall where you had thousands upon thousands of people walking up and down every day is we want to be a light in the darkness and we're praying for our city. I do not see the fullness of the vision yet, but God put on my heart a vision for the harvest and for the, the loss coming into the kingdom. And I see the beginnings of that, but there's so much more that the Father wants to do. And when you're doing the Father's will, you'll find it enjoyable and energizing. At first, Jesus was tired. He has to sit at the well to recover. That's how the story started. But after he, he, converses, after he converses with the woman about the living waters and worship, he is recharged with God's Spirit. He is recharged with the Spirit. He had just been speaking about the Spirit of God with the woman. And he's recharged with the Spirit. We see in verse 6, Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, journey sat down by the well. But then we see he is empowered. He's recharged with the Spirit. Now, there's an important lesson we can learn in this. We usually think that doing nothing recharges us. But really, it's doing God's will that empowers his children. It's a connection with God that recharges our lives. Now, there's sometimes that we need to sit and do nothing. But in that, in that not doing, we're actually pressing into his presence if we're resting correctly. We're feasting on the word. So let me say this again, because we have a tendency to say, oh, I'm resting when we're really being lazy. <laughs> and that's not rest. There is a time for rest, yes. But notice where Jesus is getting his strength from, from doing the will of God. This is where life comes from. Eternal life, a life that transcends our own biological life. 
We usually think that doing nothing recharges us, but really it's doing God's will that recharges us. It's our connection with God. It's being in the Spirit. So this brings us to our first major point, but I made, most, uh, I made a few points already, so I'm not as long with these. Get in the Spirit. <laughs> so get in the Spirit. God's power makes sharing your faith enjoyable and sets the captives free. God's power makes sharing your faith enjoyable and sets the captives free. So now let's read the next portion as we've been progressing through the story of the woman at the well. Let's read John 4.16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Now before that she said, Give me this water you're talking about, this eternal water, this living, this water that gives eternal life, this, this water that is living water. Give me this water. And so Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. <laughs> now, by our, you know, this is back in 2,000 years ago. Even by our standards today, our horrible standards today, our Hollywood world, having five husbands is quite bad. You would say, well, this person, what is wrong with this person? And now... The person she's living with is not her husband. What's wrong with her? Yet Jesus stops and speaks with her. He doesn't say, <laughs> talk to the hand. The face isn't listening. He doesn't say something like that. He actually engages with, it, with her and gives her dignity by listening to her and conversing her. And he has a very compassionate way of convicting her of her sin, that he's even affirming her as her, uh, her, her life, the issues of her heart are being exposed. Again, listen to this. He says, go call your husband. He doesn't say, notice he doesn't say straight out, at, you know, you're, you're living a sinful, immoral life. He, he lets her draw the conclusion here Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right. Notice the affirmation there. <laughs> he affirms the beginning and the end of the sentence. You are right. And when you are witnessing to people, sometimes we can have a tendency to say, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. But to win a friend, you say yes. You may say yes, and yet there's a bit more. So using the word yes is important in our conversations with people who don't know the Lord. We don't want to affirm sin, but notice how he puts it here. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Now the way he conveys it is in such a way that she wants to tell other people about about him. So that's the amazing way of Jesus, that he can be both compassionate and convicting at the same time. <laughs> and this is only possible when we're in the Spirit, because the same Spirit he was uh, anointed with and the, Holy, and the same Spirit that was flowing through his life, he has given to us as a gift. So we'll have that wisdom that is needed if we're relying on the Holy Spirit. If we're in the Spirit, we're going to have the wisdom that's needed at just the right time in these conversations. And that's what's adventurous about going out and speaking to people that you've never spoken to before, whether if it's in, in a lift or it's on the streets. And Anna's very good with this. She'll just strike up a conversation with uh, almost anybody and, uh, and then I had to, for me, that wasn't as natural at first in my life. And now it, it is it's more natural, but people come up with the strangest things. So you, you're praying while they're saying stuff. You're praying in your heart. 
Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? How do I respond to this? Now, you don't pray that out loud when you're speaking with somebody. They may think you're crazy. <laughs> but like Nehemiah did before the king, he was praying in his heart. How do I respond to the king? He's praying about what he's saying. And so we can pray while we speak, and that's part of living in the Spirit. So he says this, the fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So in the beginning, he says, yeah, you're right, and then, yet yeah, you're right. And somehow he says it, do you see the way he says it, is he catches her rather than repulses her. And often in our evangelism, what we find, and I've done it a lot, is we often repulse people. Now, some people will run. It doesn't matter how kind you are. But instead of pushing her away, he draws her in. Now, she says, sir, I can see you are a prophet. We'll continue on in the story but I'll skip here, and we see her dropping her, um, we see her dropping her, uh, her water jar in verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, she's excited. <laughs> she's excited even though she's just been convicted. And this is, this is the amazing quality about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She doesn't even know fully, but could this? Could this be the Messiah? I, it reminds me of an uh, Australian commercial that I saw. It's an Australian way of thinking. And they, they have the, it's a, uh, it was a uh, commercial for paint. And, and they were talking in the commercial about how good this paint is. And so the guy at the end says, you know what, you don't, really, you don't need to buy it. You can make your own decision, but just have a think about it. He tips his hat. Have a think about it. <laughs> and this reminds me of the woman here. It's like, could he be the Messiah? She's excited. And sometimes we, we, it's not that she is forcing down their throat, this is the Messiah, you got to believe, but could this be the Messiah? And he, she, gets their, she gets them interested. So again, God's power makes sharing your faith enjoyable and sets the captives free. The Spirit reveals to us things that we cannot know naturally. So Jesus knew this supernaturally, not naturally. The Spirit reveals to us things that we cannot know naturally. Observe how Jesus is prophetic, bringing to light a profound issue the woman's toxic relationship with men. Yet Jesus convicts in an indirect way, not with a frontal assault. He even affirms her honesty while revealing the truth to her. And that's what we've just been reading. And so another thing about being in the Spirit is that being in the Spirit, you know more than what you can know naturally. You may even start talking about a subject or a topic that is really important to a person, but you don't know it's important. And how many times have I had people come up or a preacher has had somebody come up and say, oh, did, you, did somebody tell you what was going on in my life? <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no one, no one said anything. I was just sharing what the Holy Spirit gave me to share. But some, some people will be taken back thinking, did you listen to the conversation that I had? Did somebody tell? Is somebody gossiping? And... It's because the Holy Spirit reveals to us things that is impossible to know. But he does it for a purpose so that we can lead people to Jesus. And Jesus does it for a purpose that she would start to drink of the living waters. So be prophetic or be open to being prophetic. And that's why, you know, when you're conversing with someone about the faith, you're praying inside, Lord, give me what to share. What, what do I say here? And you'll find in Daniel, I, I've just uh, posted a link about Daniel and Diane's latest trip, but you'll find that Daniel uh, and Diane are often having this experience of 
prophetic evangelism and sharing things that they could not know. And it touches people's heart. And you can read all about that in their uh, newsletter. But also Daniel, by God's grace, Daniel's going to come here and share. I don't know exactly what he's going to share, but he may share some stories, stories from the trip. So you can be inspired by him. The Holy Spirit knows the keys that will unlock someone's heart. And that's why it's crucial to get in the Spirit and to live in the Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit knows the keys that will unlock someone's heart. That's why it's crucial to get in the Spirit and live in the Spirit. John 4, 28. We see that she was excited. We just read that. She was excited about what he had said. That was the key that was needed to unlock her heart. And, and then she reached a whole town after that, which we'll read soon. She reached a whole town. What does it mean to live in the Spirit? It means living empowered by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. You can do this by praying in your heart as you converse with someone. When you live in the Spirit, you let the living waters of the Spirit flow out of your inmost being. So that's our goal when we are sharing, preaching, praying, uh, is to let the living waters of God's Spirit flow out of us, and they come from our inmost being, and Jesus talks about them in John 7, 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And that we can do daily. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Well, what is this living water? By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Living in the Spirit means living from a higher source, the highest source. I have food that you know nothing of because he's living in the Spirit. He is the Mashiach, anointed with the Spirit. Instead of living from your own resources. So living in the spirit means living from a higher source, the highest source, instead of living from your own resources. So we all learn from a young age how to live by our own strength and our own resources. But living in the spirit is different than that. It's living by heaven's resources, heaven's power, heaven's strength, heaven's wisdom, heaven's knowledge. And I, I find a great way to learn to live in the spirit is to pray. Pray with other believers. And then you're learning to pray in the Spirit. But then you got to take it further to learn to preach in the Spirit and to share your faith in the Spirit and to even speak to your family in the Spirit, which may be the hardest thing to do of all because we get familiar with one another and we're so tempted to react through our own resources rather than the Holy Spirit. Now, this, a great example of this is in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. In other words, I don't have earthly resources. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. And what they did have is the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit. And so they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So they were living by this higher source. 
And sometimes God humbles us financially so that we realize, hey, I can't live by the way everybody else is living. I need to be like the apostles. Don't have much silver or gold, but such I ha as I have, I give to you. And this is not saying that God's will is poverty for everybody, but there is this blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who are needing God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Living in the spirit makes the Christian life a joy and an adventure. If you've lost joy and a sense of adventure, get back to the spirit. His mercies are new every morning. And then there's, there's this great, yeah, great joy when you are living in the Spirit. John 4, 32, Jesus said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I've mentioned that. Now, what, what happens at the end of this story? Verse 39, John 4, 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said this, and I mentioned this the other week. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. She was an instrument. But remember, we are instruments. We are not, the, uh, we are not center stage. We're not the one whom the spotlight is meant to shine on. We're like bridges to help people to get to the other side. But the goal is for them to get to the land, the promised land, who is Jesus. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Notice the, the adventure, the joy in that. How much joy is there when people get saved? And, and you, there's people getting baptized, and, and you're leading people to Jesus. There's, there's a lot of joy in that, and it gets you out of your own humdum problems. You're, you know, what could the apostles have been like? They could have been like, oh, we don't have silver or gold. Pastor, pray for me. I don't have silver or gold. <laughs> and that's what we focus on. We focus on the darkness. We focus on what we don't have. We focus on the lack. Do we realize we have the kingdom of heaven at our disposal? Do we realize that we can draw from God and Live in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not for some special Christians. It's for every believer. And that brings that joy in. Now, these points are going quicker. The second major one is get to the heart. Don't get distracted. Now, after Jesus shares and convicts the woman about the five husbands. The woman begins to drift in her conversation. Notice this. John 4:19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Okay. Now she goes on to say, Our ancestors, ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman Jesus replied. Now that wasn't saying woman was not a, wasn't rude. It sounds rude in English. It's not rude back then. Uh, especially in the Aramaic and the Hebrew. Sounds nicer in Hebrew. Isha. Isha is woman in Hebrew. Uh, woman, Jesus replied. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. 
notice how he's bringing it back to the heart here. The conversation begins to drift. The woman deflects away from her heart issues and toward religious and ethnic controversies. Jesus gets the conversation back on track. An excellent example for us when we converse with the unconverted is to get back to the heart. Usually I remember, you know, witnessing in my early days to people and uh, often the question would come up, what about the pygmies in Africa? Something like that. What about them? <laughs> and I've, I found what the Holy Spirit taught, uh, taught me is let's get back to you and your heart and your situation. <laughs> well, we'll talk about God loves everybody. And you'll find it amazing that often in those uh, communities which we think are so far away from us, there's somebody out there who believes and is praying to the God of heaven, even though their tribe may have some other beliefs. God has his people. What I'm saying is God has his people everywhere, you know, like hidden, hidden in the darkness of unbelief. Because Jesus was in the spirit and in truth, he married compassion with conviction. And this is what happens when we're in the spirit. We, we, it, we're able to be compassionate and even convicting at the same time. This is the way of fruitful evangelism. Staying in the truth while being in the spirit of love, joy, and peace. Staying in the truth while being in the spirit of love, joy, and peace. Did you hear that? That happens when we're in the spirit, when we're allowing the living waters to flow. That we stay in the truth, we don't compromise the truth, but we do it in a spirit of love and joy and peace. It's like the two wings, again. Compassion, conviction, we've been talking about this a lot in Bible school, this two wings, and you can find it often in Scripture. Uh, compassion and truth. Here we have the spirit and truth. The spirit and truth. Both go together. There's no such thing as the Holy Spirit without truth because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And there's no such thing as truth without the spirit. The two wings of worshipful evangelism are the Holy Spirit's power and the word's truth. And what Jesus is doing here with the woman at the well is he is worshiping the Father by speaking to her. Again, one of the things we fall into is we think that the worship is just singing. It's singing. But evangelism is worship if you're doing it right. Preaching is worship if you're doing it right. How we work every day on the job should be worship. And it's only possible in the Spirit and staying in the truth. So Jesus is really reflecting on what he is doing as he is ministering to the woman. The two wings of worshipful evangelism are the Holy Spirit's power and the word's truth. These will allow you to soar and stay balanced at the same time. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need your power. And Holy Spirit, I need your truth. There was something we also used to do in evangelism when I was in Pensacola is often when you're speaking to somebody, you can't reason with them because they're fighting with everything. So we, do, we had a strategy, and we often were in, in Mobile, Alabama. We parked ourselves between two bars, two bars that were known for their immorality, and people would come out. They, were, they weren't often in the state to talk, but often they would argue, and we would say, can we pray for you? And often they say yes, and we'd all lay hands on them and pray for them, and the power of God would hit many of them, and they would hit the floor. This is on the street between two immoral bars. <laughs> they would, it's not in church. They would hit the floor. They may be shaking and trembling under the power of God. We would pick them up and say, what happened? 
they would say, you know, Jesus revealed himself to me or something along that line. And then we would say, do you want to receive Jesus? The prayer <laughs> made the evangelism so much more uh, easier. Now, sometimes they didn't have as much a dramatic experience, but the prayer then opened their hearts, so they actually listened to what you said. So if you can get to praying for somebody, that's a good, good way to reach somebody. You, you bypass see, the mind to get to their heart. Their mind that's been filled with all these arguments to fight and come against Jesus. Being in the truth also means telling your story to others. Your story is your testimony. So instead of hiding it in fear, share it in faith, knowing that it's not merely your story, but God's story at work within you. Notice the power of the woman's testimony that we just read about, which wasn't even complete. She said, she said could this be the Messiah? So her story wasn't even complete, but God used it. And that is the thing. Your story is not complete either. While you know that Jesus is the Messiah, your story is not complete. You use your story. You share. And, and that uh, is powerful because it's God at work within you and how God has transformed your life. And you say it in your own way, in your own style, but do say it and be, say it from the honesty of your heart. Lastly, Get to Jesus. <laughs> Get to Jesus. This is our final concluding point. Do I hear an amen? amen? And it comes from this part that I read before. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we want to connect people to Jesus for them to hear Jesus for themselves. And we're a vessel for that. But we are not the end goal. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So he is the Messiah. He is the good news. He is the Savior of the world. And that's why you want to introduce people to Jesus, get them connected to Jesus. This is my last slide here. Our job is to give people Jesus. He is the gift. Can I hear an amen? amen? Our job is to give people Jesus. He is the gift. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for all that we've been learning about sharing our faith, and evangelism. You've had us park here for a while to really get it inside of us. And I speak a blessing over our congregation and everyone that hears this, the, the, all the church that's listening to this. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. May we fill the earth with your presence, with the name of Jesus, with your Holy Spirit, with your kingdom. And may we have the boldness to tell people about Jesus and to give the gift of Jesus. Keep us, Father, from drifting from the mission where we get all worried about our silver and gold, our issues and our problems, and we forget that you have called us to follow you, Jesus, so that we can be fishers of people. And you're the one who makes us into fishers of people. And it's going to look a little bit different for each person, but we've learned, Lord, from, from your word, from the master himself, how he did it, how he went about it with this one story, and he did all different things. Healing people, speaking the word, going to people's homes. He lived so to connect people 
with their heavenly Father. And we want to be like Jesus. Empower us, Lord. Empower us to be like Jesus. And we're asking for a great harvest in Australia. A harvest of souls. A harvest for your kingdom. In Brisbane City. In Milton. And in Australia. We're believing for a mighty harvest, Jesus. And laborers. Raise up the laborers that have strong character and are steadfast.